Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. I am Bela Seabrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting the show. Last Wednesday, Shireen Abu Akla, a veteran Palestinian journalist with the Al Jazeera Network, was killed on Wednesday while covering the turmoil in the Jenin refugee camp. The Definitive Wrap expresses deep condolences to her family. The U.S. media have wasted no time and condemned Israel for Shireen's untimely death. At the Definitive Wrap, we are probably the first media program to give our audience the Israeli perspective with a wealth of details not heard on CNN or read in the New York Times. With us today is our Israeli correspondent, Barry Shaw, from Israel Senior Fellow at the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies. Barry regularly contributes to various media outlets, including the Jerusalem Post, and is a frequent speaker at conferences and pro-Israel advocacy events. Barry Shaw has been a staunch defender of Israel in the public diplomacy arena for many decades and has initiated the creation of several pro-Israel grassroots groups. He has a keen following of tens of thousands of people globally and is the author of Israel Reclaiming the Narrative, Fighting Hamas, BDS, and Anti-Semitism. And his most recent book, BDS for Idiots, employs ridicule as new methods for countering BDS activists and disclaiming their slander against Israel with facts and humor. Barry, welcome back again to the Definitive Wrap. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. We have a vital role here, Barry. Israel too often comes out of conflicts initiated by Palestinians, but made to look by the media as the bad guys. Please share with our audience what really happened in Jenin, where Shireen lost her life while covering the story that is different than what Al Jazeera reported and how the media is demonizing Israel. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you, Baylor, and also Definitive Rap for reaching out to me to answer questions about the unfortunate uh, death of Shireen Abu in Jenin on, on May the 11th. And, and I'm sorry to say that the coverage over there in America that we've seen over here has been abysmal, biased, uh, emotion-driven narrative aimed at uh, really a harsh and undeserved anti-Israel conclusion, claiming that Israeli soldiers killed, even deliberately killed, a female American journalist. So really, I am grateful for you and to Definitive Rap for giving me the opportunity to set the record straight, at least from an Israeli perspective. And I think uh, that I'm going to give you a lot of detail that um, you correct me if I'm wrong, Baylor, but you're not getting over there. But like everything else to do with Israel and the Palestinians, I think this story is made to fit a formula of Israel guilt and Palestinian victimhood. And the Palestinians can never be seen as the bad guys, even when they engage in terror. For instance, we've had, they've killed 19 
Israeli citizens over the last month. Um, and they and even when they launch hundreds of rockets at our civilian centers, it's only our fault and our, we're to blame when we have to reciprocate, uh, reciprocate for these uh, rockets that, or even the terror attacks. And this is really what we were doing in Janin, because most of the terror attacks that we've been suffering from in our cities, and uh, you know where Beersheba, Hadera, uh, Elad, all the other places, most of them emanate from Janin. And what's been happening is Janine is Janine is a Palestinian city. It was part of the uh, territory that we surrendered back to the Palestinian Authority at the time of Yasser Arafat, so we could have peace. But um, what's been happening with the corrupt and impotent uh, Palestinian Authority, this has been the ongoing battle between the Palestinian Authority made up of the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and the Palestine uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine on the one hand, and Hamas and the uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad on the other. Now, at one time, it, that fight was going on in Gaza, where, in fact, uh, uh, Hamas usurped power after a, an election, and um, but now their influence has grown into the territory that is controlled from the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah, and part of that uh, is places like Tulkaram, parts of Hebron, and of course, uh, Janine, uh, where the fighting is going on and where this, this uh, Janine Abu Akhla was killed. Um, so, uh, as I said, we've mentioned that part about it, it's Israel always has to be the bad guy. Now, let me mention one. CNN led an emotion-laden interview with an Al Jazeera correspondent who naturally accused Israel of killing a female American journalist. Uh, but is it true? Um, most definitely not. But I give your audiences a detail, like I said, that CNN failed to mention. And we need to ask why. And why do they promote uh, an anti-Israel knee-jerk uh, biases news? So look, in the, in the limited time we've got below, let's go through a, a few items here. This was a tragic incident. And what happened? Um, this Shireen Abu Akhla was actually know, knowingly in a conflict zone, wearing a helmet and a blue flak jacket with the press written on the front and the back emblazoned on it. And she was often in the conflict areas, both in Janine and places like Gaza, uh, even when violence was going on with her, and, and by the way, her press pass got her into Gaza via the Israeli frontier post. So she had to go through Israel to go into Gaza. So we had to get in, really. Um, now, she was, a, she was a, in a sense, a member of the press. And in this incident, she was hit by a bullet to the neck between her helmet and a flat jacket and died instantly. It was a badly aimed shot rather than a deliberate hit. Now, Israel immediately requested a dispassionate shared forensic and autopsy investigation with the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian Authority refused. Now, why would they refuse if they were convinced that Israel did the killing? So that's the first question that we have to bear in mind. What are they hiding? Uh, they're never interested in investigating the truth that may embarrass them. They gain more political capital by promoting unprovable anti-Israel slanders and demand that 
that Israel will be reported, as they are doing now, with the International Criminal Court. They don't want any evidence to show that she was killed by Palestinian government. But they were caught short when the Palestinian coroner said that the early forensic results were inconclusive. That was the coroner on their side. Now, tell me, Bela, have, have, have you heard this mentioned on CNN or any of the American uh, media? No. No. But that won't stop telling the world that Israel killed an American journalist, as again, as the Al Jazeera did and also did uh, the CNN. However, the IDF did something the Palestinian Authority didn't do. And they conducted an internal investigation. They questioned every soldier that was involved in the three conflict zones that day in Janine. And they confirmed that the ones closer to uh, this uh, journalist were 150 meters away. That's about 100, 100, 100 yards or something like that, I believe, um, from the victim. And none of the snipers had received any command or had aimed at any specific target anywhere that day. They're the trained snipers. There was no wild firing from the Israeli troops. In fact, when the IDF are in conflict zone, a close area like Janine, enemy territory if you want, they don't send rookie soldiers into close com combat areas like that. They send their elite troops, right? Now, and they examined in the three firing zone how many bullets the Israeli soldiers had fired. And they come to a few dozen bullets in the hours of conflict in three conflict, conflict zones in, in uh in Janine, where they were there to actually round up some of the terrorists and the terrorist organizations that have been killing Jews in parts of Israel. Um, but on, on the other side, they are uh, reporting that the Palestinian gunmen fired not hundreds, thousands of bullets. So the odds are which of those bullets would have hit this reporter. Now, it's also well known to us over here that these untrained Palestinian gunmen file indiscriminately and inaccurately and go for volume of bullets rather than precision targeting. So who's gonna make the mistake of hitting uh, this uh, Palestinian reporter, right? In that sort of situation, anyone standing between them and the Israeli forces are placed in a life-threatening position. And that goes for reporters and cameramen. Now, another point that's being made here, no other Palestinians were killed or injured by Israeli fire that day of conflict, you know that? which again shows how sparing the Israeli forces were when they were firing. And then we have this, another reporter was injured in the crossfire, and this guy was a Palestinian reporter for the Arab Quds news agency, okay? And he was shot in the leg. And he claimed that only one side shooting were Israeli soldiers. Now, you may have heard that over there. So it sort of pins the, 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 the finger, points the finger at Israel. But actually, it's a painted lie proven by a local video taken by an Arab, a Palestinian Arab in Janine, that witnessed the crossfire and can be heard in Arabic saying, that a soldier had been shot and had fallen. 
This has been shown on all the Israeli TV channels. I wonder if that has been shown on any American news channel. I probably doubt it. But we know that no soldier fell and no soldier was wounded. The only people that fell was this Palestinian journalist from or reporter from the foot and also the lady who works for Al Jazeera. So because she had a helmet on and maybe a flat jacket, the Palestinians who would go wild on this uh, hot and hot headed thought that that was a soldier. Wow. So this was a guy admitting that it was the Palestinian gunfire that had brought her down. So, you know, th this is this is part of the, the the sort of the the information we get, which isn't being shown over there, which should cast at least doubts on the fact that it was Israel that that, that actually killed it. So, in order to um, just to contest that this this journalist, this reporter who said, no, the Palestinians don't fire in these situations. The very next day, an officer called Noam Raz, a father of six and the commander of, a, of what's called the Yazam counter-terror team, was killed by Palestinian gunfire in Janine, not far from where this own reporter had been injured. Yes. So that, again shoots his lies down that the Palestinians don't shoot guns at Israeli soldiers. And Noam Raz was shot in the back as the squad were leaving the area under fire from Palestinian gunmen, having done their job over there. And the, an, officer, an officer told journalists, and I quote, there were thousands of bullets fired towards us and our vehicles this morning. It was indescribable. That was the day after this is Shireen yes. Abu Air had been killed. So don't tell me the Palestinians don't fire guns and they fired it like crazy. Oh yeah. Now let me let me try and Baylor correct another misconception. As part of the emotion laden narrative, the dead reporter is being lionized as an Israeli, as an American journalist. Now let me put that correctly. We hear Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and others accuse American Jews who love Israel or are active Zionists, like yourself, of being, have dual loyalty. In other words, of being traitors, traitors to America. But this Shireen Abu Akhla was born in Bethlehem, educated in Jordan, began to work for an anti-American, anti-Israel, Al Jazeera, which is, by the way, is state owned by Qatar, not the most friendly country to Israel or America, right? Yes, that's, that's well she, known. This woman who was all the time in the Middle East spent a brief time over in America to visit family there. And while she was there, she obtained an American passport and then returned over here with an American passport, working again with the Palestinians who were against Israel and for Al Jazeera, which is against Israel. Now then, if we're talking about dual loyalty, where did she stand on dual loyalty? So why is she being described as an American journalist? She wasn't born in America, so she's not American. She just happens to have a passport, right? And she's working for an anti-American news agency. So, you know, if Ilan Omar and Rashida Taleb want to call you, Baylor, and other lot of your viewers as being dual loyalty, have a go at this one if you want. Right. 
So, so would you say that uh, Shireen's death is being used as a political pawn? I mean, she was a human being, not an object to be used to make political points. Right, right, right. But at the same time, I just want to make the point. And again, her death was tragic. Let's all agree on that. All right. <clears throat> but to make her out to be another Mayor, uh, Marie Colvin, who was a dispassionate seeker of truth, who died in a war zone somewhere. I'm sorry, she doesn't want a dispassionate uh, truth. Right. She wants to, she, I, I, quite frankly, let's call her what she is. She was not an American journalist. Right. She was a Palestinian propagandist. Fine, she doesn't deserve to die. And, uh, but however, let's call a spade a spade and tell the truth by now, for heaven's sake. Of course. Sake. Right? That's uh, what we're here for, so the truth. as I said, go ahead. No, I'm saying that's what we're here for, the truth. We want right. the truth. That's what we want. Um, do you think that Shireen's death, uh, just the way the climate is right now, the political climate being the way it is, do you think that um, there's a risk to da- of damage to economic relationships with the Arab world? No, well, as I said, you know, she works for Qatar, and they're certainly not a member of the. Abel you know, I, I mean, Abram, you know, course. what what, pe- what the media is saying it's it's the, you know the the IDF Israel did this Israel killed her it was on purpose and you know the question is will this will this create more damage or or any kind of damage? What with the with the with the countries in the Abraham with the, with yeah in terms of relationships with the Arab world, the economic uh, relationships. I think not, because quite frankly, um, the the uh, Arab states who have made peace with Israel um, seem to be a far more moderate rather than a extremist uh, organization. They're true to their faith, absolutely. Uh, and I think most of these will quietly be giving uh, Israel the, the credit, if you like, for not deliberately uh, fighting. And they're aware of the the situation that Israel is in. Now, obviously, openly right now, they have to feel they have to support uh, things like uh, what's going on on the Temple Mount. But but the talk, diplomatic talk between them know quite well they're they're worried of what's happening uh, in Jerusalem in the Temple Mount and other places. Why are they afraid of this? Mm-hmm. And this is something that your administration there should be aware of as well. Right. Uh, because, you know, I can talk about this later on on another occasion if we don't have time. The Biden administration has come to look, uh, have to come and realize the truth and the reality of what's going over here. And appeasing the Palestinians and hitting on uh, Israel is, is not going to balance the, the, the equation over here. Um, and I wanted to, you mentioned, Bila, the, the countries in the neighborhood. One of the things that they have seen over the last, through the, uh, the Ramadan period, is they have seen something that scares them to death because the Temple Mount, well, the Al-Aqsa mosques are supposed to be supervised by a Jordan because they're, uh, they have, if you like, the holy control on, on the Muslim places on the Temple Mount, but also the Palestinian Authority. But what they have been seeing with the Palestinian violence has been the raising of Hamas flags. And this should worry both the Arab states who are in the Abraham Accord with us but also the Biden administration, because it's a sign that Hamas have extended their influence beyond the Gaza Strip. Uh, 
into places that are under the Palestinian Authority control, like Janine, this is what we'd say, because most of the gunmen and over there, and a lot of the flags that you saw, even when her coffin was being uh, uh, born to lay to rest, were also Palestinian flags, but also some Hamas flags, as you saw on the Temple Mount. Mm -hmm. And that scares any moderate Muslim because that's only half a stride before the uh, Hamas takes over from the Palestinian Authority. Right. They've already won the hearts and minds of the radical uh, Palestinians on the streets in places like Janine and Hebron with the shout that pa Palestine from the river to the sea yes. and the call to kill Jews wherever you find them. And if we had one incident, again, I don't know if this was covered over there, but we had one of um, before the last attack, we had the Hamas leader in calling on the Palestinian Arabs or even Israeli Arabs to take up guns or to take up axes or hatchets and kill the Jews wherever you find them with them or whatever you can put your hands on. And it wasn't by accident that the last terror attack that killed six Israeli Jews by two terrorists that came in from Janine, they, they killed the Jews with hatches, with axes and hacked them to death. In other words, they're taking instructions, not from a peaceful Palestinian authority, but from Hamas in Gaza. Barry, uh, in June, President Biden will visit Israel. And during that visit, he plans to go to East Jerusalem to visit a hospital, demanding to be unaccompanied by any Israeli official. Also, while President Biden is prepared to visit Jerusalem and meet Palestinian officials, the White House has publicly opposed the building of Jewish homes in Judea and Samaria. What kind of message is all this sending? And do you think the gap is widening between Jerusalem and Israel? I have a lot of detail on this, but I don't think we've got full time to go into it. I hope we do, but if we don't, you have to invite me back. But quite frankly, what my initial view of this, when I heard of it, this is Biden coming to divide Israel's sovereign capital, Jerusalem. Because as you rightly said, he's coming over, flying over here sometime middle or late June in order to visit Jerusalem. On his day one, he's going to address Israeli leaders and tell us how much he loves us. And the next day, he's not going to Ramallah to see Mahmoud Abbas. He's going into East Jerusalem to visit a Palestinian hospital and meet Palestinian officials there. Now, why would he do that? It's part of their campaign of the Biden administration to divide Israel's capital. You had a president, Ronald Reagan, who wanted to unite a divided Berlin. You remember? Of course. I was quite young at the time, but I do remember, yes. Bear down this wall. President Biden is doing the opposite in Israel's capital. That's how bad it's going to be. And why is he doing it? Well, quite frankly, you have to look into the people who are working in his White House, some in the State Department, and some of the other officials, and his officials here in the Near East, and look at their history. Look at the history of the new lady that is taking over the job as the White House press secretary, and look into her anti-Israel, you can say an anti-Semitic 
statements that she's made in the past, but I've got a whole wealth of material for each and every one of them. But in a nutshell, this is what he's doing. And he's doing it because Israel didn't agree to allow the State Department to open a consulate in Jerusalem, which was, they wanted to do it in West Jerusalem, in order to serve Palestinians. He was told there is no precedent for this anywhere in the world that you would go to, for instance, to London and ask Boris Johnson to open a consulate so you could serve the IRA in Ireland, for instance, right? And it's an insult to Israel that he would ask it. And Israel, Israel actually definitely refused. And yet, because they refused and, just, and said, why don't you open it in Ramallah or even Gaza City? After all, Ramallah is the administrative headquarters of the Palestinian Authority. And if Hamas is going to usurp power, their administrative headquarters is in Gaza City. Why are you putting it in Israel's sovereign capital, the sovereign capital of the Jewish people? There's something deviant about even the notion of doing something like this. You know, I, we so appreciate your setting the record straight. Um, what's the climate right now with regards to Temple Mount? The Temple Mount, as I said, was... Um, Something foolishly, when we liberated Jerusalem, uh, for a brief time, the Israeli flag flew over the Temple Mount. And Moshe Dan at that time said, no, as a gesture to the Muslims and to the Arabs, take down the flag. The uh, Temple Mount, at least the Islamic parts of the Temple Mount, really were under the auspices for a long time of uh, Jordan, the Jordanian Hashemite king. So let them have the authority to via their, what's called the waqf, the holy waqf, looking after the institutions. But slowly, gradually, the Palestinian Authority have allowed, and this is part of Israeli's fault, after I tell you this, in usurping some control over the Temple Mount. They even excavated uh, during a, a Jewish holiday what was underneath the Temple Mount which was full, the archaeologists will tell you, of decades, centuries old, uh, millennia old Jewish artifacts, and they dumped them. Uh, so there should be no, is this the, any sort of sign of Jewish uh, uh, belonging yeah. on the Temple Mount? They destroyed it all. But, it, but as I said, what has happened this year during uh, Ramadan, the, um, the Palestinian Authority for years have been saying the Israeli, Israelis and the Israeli police should not go onto the Temple Mount, certainly not during Ramadan. They should not, in the in Mahmoud Abbas's said, defile our Muslim holy places with the Jewish filthy feet. So we kept our distance and the Israeli police were keeping Israeli worshippers, Jewish worshippers away from the Temple Mount as much as we could, as much as they could during Ramadan. And it was the Hamas supporters and the Palestinian Islamic uh, Palestinians that used the Al-Aqsa Mosque as a sort of armory, a sort of a weaponry to fill it full of explosive devices, rocks, miss all sorts of missiles, and then create a riot. And when the Israeli, play, uh, 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 Israeli police came on to restore raw and order, 
they began firing and shooting things at the Israeli police and then down onto the worshippers at the Jewish worshippers at the Temple Mount, at the Wailing Wall below the Temple Mount. Um, mm -hmm. And that was what the chaos was all about. Um, the ones who defiled the Al-Aqsa Mosque were not Israeli soldiers, not Israeli military. As you can see, with if you look for the right videos, it was done by the Palestinian Arabs uh, out of no pro prior pro provocation. Uh, the other thing I don't, again, we seem to have stretched all the time, but I can tell you there is a history, by the way, of Joe Biden. We have a few minutes, so please go ahead. Well, look, very quickly, I just want to um, have your uh, viewers go looking for, for the sort of evidence you can find about uh, Biden always says that um, he loves Israel and he loves the Israelis, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look deeply into it, you'll find he has a very troubling history when it comes to Israel. In 1982, after Israeli Prime Minister Machen Begin concluded a successful meeting with Ro Ronald Reagan, of all people, and Alexander Haig, he went into a very unpleasant Senate Foreign Relations Committee in America, in which he was confronted by a young Delaware senator called Joe Biden, who, and he was described as a highly emotional uh, confrontation. That was a quote from the New York Times at the time. And Biden told Biggin that he opposed what he called Israel's West Bank settlement policy. In other words, Jews living in Judea. And he threatened to cut off US aid if Pekin replied, don't threaten us with your cutting aid. You know, this is a, not a one-way street. This is what Pekin told uh, Biden at that time. You help us, we're very grateful for your help, but this is a two-way street. We do a lot for you, and we do, because in another conversation, I could talk to you about some of the security and intelligence relationships that goes on behind the scenes between Israel and the United States. And Begin warned Biden, and I quote, if at any time you demand of us to yield on a principle in which we believe while threatening to cut aid, we will not abandon the principle of which we believe. So he said to Biden, I'm a proud Jew, 3,000 years of culture are behind me, and you won't frighten me with your threats. Now, he said he loves, he also threatened, by the way, uh, uh, by, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Bibi, again, when he uh, was uh, allowing Jews to build in certain parts of Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. And finally, I'll leave you with this. He really was fond of Golda Meir. But when he said, you know, why are you so aggressive against the Arabs? And he said, uh, Golda Meir said, I'm not aggressive against them, they're aggressive against me. You remember that quotation when the Arab mothers learn to eat their kids, love their kids more than they hate us, we will have peace. But she told Biden this, we have a secret weapon, Senator Biden. He said, what's that? She says, we have nowhere else to go. Yeah. And this is going on today. What we're facing now is an ongoing onslaught of terror that's been hitting on the Jews in this area for a hundred years since Al Hussein Al Husseini started it in 1920, and now we're in 1922, and it's still going on. Al Hussein Al Husseini 
was the one that incited the Nebi Musa riots in the old city of Jerusalem, which was a, a traditional Muslim festival, and incited them to rise up and kill the Jews. And they destroyed their property, they killed the Jews, they uh, raped the women, and, that, and he had to run away. He went to Iraq, in which he incited the Iraqis to ride up against the Jews over there, which was called in Iraq by the Jews, the Fahud, which is a pogrom and the riots against the Jews. And the British forced him out there, and he went, ended up being in Berlin and sitting at the feet of Hitler, Hitler in order helping Hitler and devising German help that when they took over the Middle East, he would lead the final solution of the Jewish problem here in the Middle East in Palestine at that time. And at the end of the war, finally, they will come full circle so you can see the link. He managed to flee Germany and Berlin at the end of the war and he made his way to Egypt. He had friends over there. And one of them had a young 20 something year old son. And he became a mentor of Hajjamina Husseini. And that young man changed his name to Yasser Arafat. And the battle goes on, despite the Oslo Accords on the White House law signed by Bill Clinton. The battle goes on today. Let's hope for peace with God's help. Hope Barry, thank you. Hope for peace, but prepare for war. Yes. Barry, thank you for joining us and for being our Israeli correspondent. It's harsh. It's harsh. But I hope I've given your audience some of the facts that we've got over here and some of the feelings that are going over here, because quite frankly, it seems to be a sort of benign world over there where you're prepared to accept emotional narrative without any facts or uh, behind them. And it's always Israel who is on the losing side of that argument. Yes. Thank you to Vinus. Thank you to Vinus and to our audience for tuning in. Again, thank you so much, Barry. I want to thank you, Bila, again, and Definitive Rap, because without your help, more, more medium posts or more social media posts and even mainstream media should be prepared to, to hear the facts, hear the truth, and act on them. And I implore your listeners, your audience, to please take up some of the information I've got. Look in it, because uh, verify it. But please use the information to put Israel's case forward because very few people are doing that right now. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Sebrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.